Hope you're doing all right this morning. Uh, anybody else struggling to breathe with allergies around here? Holy moly, everybody in my house woke up stuffed up this morning. There was pollen all over my truck. Tis the season. I want to continue a conversation with you. We've been talking the last few weeks uh, about a number of different things in regards to the kingdom of God. And I don't know if you saw that theme early in some of the messages, but we're working our way uh, towards talking about the kingdom of God. And we talked about um, a worldly kingdom, the world system. Uh, we talked about that last week. I uh, will be recapping some of that here. And then in future weeks, we're going to continue to talk about the kingdom because the things that we understand about the kingdom things we learn about the heart of God for His people and how He wants to operate directly affects how we operate as a group of people. And God's vision for the kingdom then impacts the vision for Mount Helena Community Church and it impacts the vision for you as an individual. And so it's very important that we sometimes take the time to reflect on what is the kingdom of God. I think it's really important to understand the overall narrative of the Scripture what's really going on in the story as a whole. We can dive down into the minutia of different stories and we draw principles out of that. That's really helpful and encouraging. But I think it's always also very important to keep in mind the overall idea of what is going on in the Bible and why Christianity exists today. And I'm going to recap some things, so forgive me if I bore you a little bit with covering stuff I've talked a lot about, but I really feel it's very, very important for us to have an understanding of what the overall story is that's going on in the world, and it then informs our role in that story. Let's pray. Father, we know that you are with us. Your word says that where two or more are gathered, you're right there with them. And Lord, we know that your spirit is in each one of us. Father, that you have blessed us with giving yourself to us in the form of your spirit. So much so that the word even says that we have your mind. You're right there with us, leading us and teaching us and guiding us. And I pray that today as we talk through some of these scriptures, Lord, that you would continue to inform us, continue to draw us closer to you through the truth of your scripture. Lord, we want to be in alignment with what, who you are and what you're doing in the world and with our own role in it. So I pray today that you would guide us and lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. In the beginning, creation was good. Now, creation is still good in a lot of ways. We have a lot of good things in the world. So it's not to say that it's not good, but it's broken now. Creation has been corrupted, is a word we've been using a lot. And in the original story of creation, we see that God creates the world over a number of days. And at the end of each day, he's saying, and God saw that it was good. And at the end of the sixth day, God saw it was very good. And why was creation good? Because it came directly from God. When God opened his mouth to speak light into existence, it happened. And he saw that it was good. And when God opened his mouth and he spoke all the other components of creation into existence, when they, they proceeded from him. It was from his breath, if you will, that creation even came to exist. He didn't pull out a hammer and nails. He didn't get a trowel and some blocks and some cement. And you've heard the joke before, haven't you, about the scientists that 
are arguing with God? Okay, I'll tell you. Well, there were some scientists who were talking to God, and they said, we're not that impressed with you. We, we feel that we can make our own creation now with all the information that we have. And so we would like to have this competition with you. We're going to take some dirt. We're just going to take dirt, and out of that dirt, we're going to recreate creation just like you did. And God's like, okay, that's, it's a deal. And so the scientist goes out and gets the shovel and starts to dig, and God goes, wait, 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 go get your own dirt. Anyway, creation was good because it came from God, directly from the source. It was authentically a reflection of who he is. And then mankind was given uh, the freedom to choose. And we chose poorly, and we continue to every day in our journey. We separate ourselves from God. Creation fell. It became corrupted. Death entered. Sin entered. The world system as we know it today began to be formed from that point forward. Creation is good because God is good. All of these ideas or concepts, uh, when I'm talking about idea, like a a principle, a thought that we have, a, a way we have of describing or understanding something, you know, concepts like love. God is perfect love. The reason we know what love is, is out of the perfect love of God, we begin to understand something about love. Everything that is good, everything that is righteous, everything that is just, everything that is true, everything that is the pinnacle of goodness, if you will, is found in God's character himself. The scripture says God is love. God doesn't just love, he is love. He's the definition of it. He's the definition of just. He's the definition of truth. All of these high ideas and, and, and good things that we look to, we derive our understanding of those from the nature of God. And we begin to look at what sin actually is. Sin is the corruption of the original good. Now, we think of sin as a bunch of boxes we got to check of do's and don'ts, but sin really in its basic thing is anything that is out of alignment with the pureness of God. And so sometimes we look at behaviors or attitudes or motivations and different things that are misaligned with God, and that's how we get our definition of sin. And that's part of the worldly system. We looked at the idea that Satan is the ruler of the world system. He has authority in the world because of sin, because he lured mankind into a decision-making process that brought corruption into the world. He became the authoritative figure in the world. Jesus talks about it a number of times throughout his ministry. Things like the ruler of this world has now come, but he has no authority over me or no hold on me. Jesus had defeated the sinful nature. He had been tempted himself. And I hope to talk about that a little bit today if I have time. But Jesus overcame sin. He overcame the worldly system. And he paid a price so that you and I also can participate in that divine nature that he has. We become free. We we sang this morning songs about Freedom from every chain, right? And in our basic nature, in our basic way of life, we become enslaved to our sin, the things that lure us away from God and trap us. And we get stuck in our addictions and things like that. But God brings freedom for the captives. He breaks the chains of addiction. He breaks the strongholds in the mind. He brings healing to the body. He brings healing to the soul. He supersedes and triumphs over the world system. Praise God. 
we have a message of hope. We have a message of life. We have a message of love. I think last week when I talked, I, I just I was a little uncomfortable when I was done uh, because I don't it just ended heavy and I didn't have time to bring it back up before we closed. And sometimes we have to be careful as we grow in our knowledge and our understanding. There's a certain amount of responsibility we have with that knowledge. And what we can get trapped in is using our knowledge to be judgmental, to be critical, to be mean, to be divisive, to be abusive, to hurt other people. That is not our gospel. That is not our message. So when we're wrestling with the issues of bringing ourselves into alignment with God, or looking at things like we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in a very uncomfortable list that we all see ourselves in. We can then start to look around with our knowledge and, and get really mean. Christians often have been accused of being mean with their understanding and their knowledge, being critical and judgmental, using it to speak Curses into people's lives. It's a very important responsibility that we have to wield this gospel well. That we are actually reflecting the attitude and the heart of our King. I want to start talking about the kingdom of God today in more depth. And we're going to continue talking about it in the weeks ahead. Over that, talking about that overarching story, like in creation, creation was good, sin entered. It, it paints the picture of our understanding of where we are today in a bit of a broken world, aren't we? I was just reading through the news last night. I, don't, I, really, I read the news all the time, and I just every time I do, I'm like, why do I read the news? It's so heavy and hard. I was telling Janie, I'm like, I have to read one more story like this. Oh, the world is hurting and messed up and broken. And it's so sad. Hopefully, we never lose that sense of compassion for the broken world that we live in and the people that are a part of it. And when we look at this overall story of this creation and this brokenness, we see that through the ages, God begins to make agreements with mankind. So we call them covenants. But God begins to introduce himself. We don't know what, what uh, in the whole through Genesis and early on, really what people knew about God. We don't see a lot of information there about how he interacted with mankind. The world was a very different place before the flood of Noah. We know that. There's some really interesting things to study in that regard. But God begins to introduce himself. And he begins to build upon ideas to the point of where we are today, where we have an understanding of God. He introduces himself to Abraham and he makes this agreement in faith about faith that, that draws attention to the idea that God is motivated by faith. That God wants to make an agreement with his people that if you will just believe me, and Abraham did believe God. And because of that belief, God called him righteous. It wasn't because of all the, the right and wrong things that Abraham was able to navigate and do. It was that Abraham just laid hold of believing God. And God then made an agreement with him to bless the world through him. Abraham had no idea what it was really going to be like in the end. 
that from his people, Jesus Christ would come and bring a gospel to the entire world and all of mankind. We see in, you know, after Abraham that he brings the law through Moses and demonstrates for us how holy he is and how weak we are. And he demonstrates the frailty of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now there's no way man is really going to be able to measure up by those standards. And then he brings along Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the incarnation, the word becoming flesh. Jesus ushered in the latest of those agreements with mankind. 2,000 years ago, we're still operating under that same agreement that Jesus brought to us. And it is a superior agreement to anything that was before. It's a new covenant that's ratified in his blood. That was the seal. That was the, the payment, if you will, for that agreement that Christ laid down his life, shed his perfect blood, his sinless life, on our behalf, that when God looks at you, he can see his son instead. That we're covered by that. We're hidden. It's like we take Jesus' robe and put it on. Because Jesus wears a robe, right? In all the pictures, anyway. That's what it's like when we put our faith in Christ. He bought something for us. He afforded us the opportunity to be adopted into his family. To become members, become friends like Chris talked about. It's a superior agreement. And in this new agreement, you and I become citizens of a new realm. I was in New Zealand back in February. And it, you know, it, it's a nation where a lot of immigration there, and that's how it's grown. There was a native peoples there, still is. And I just was contemplating there, what does it take for people to decide that they're going to change where they live? I think about the people that came over to the United States when they discovered it. Like, maybe the world was flat, and then all of a sudden it was round, and now there's this new land, and hey, why don't we move there? Sounds reasonable. Do you know how much courage that had to take? How intimidating that process would be? To get on a boat with your family and go across the ocean knowing it's highly likely that you would never return? You would have to have some motivation to do that, to change where you live. It's an interesting thought, but there's also a parallel there in the kingdom of God. Our citizenship changes when we give our lives to Christ. When we begin to participate in the kingdom of God, become members of his family, we become members of a kingdom. Another system. We talked a lot about the brokenness of the world system. Here's another thing I want to address about some of the things that I said last week as well. Is that... Sometimes when we're looking at the world, and even the title of my message I think is a little bit of a misnomer, but it's this idea that there's uh, an us versus them. An us versus them mentality that creeps into the church and drives that hatred, that bitterness, that critical attitude that we have sometimes when we put ourselves on a pedestal and criticize the world around us. And we look at that broken world system and we go, that's messed up. That's wrong. I'm over here on the good side and you're on the wrong side. And we develop this us versus them kind of attitude, but that's not completely accurate. I hope you understand that. That actually there's a, there's a world system, a kingdom in the world, and God is ushering in a kingdom to blend into it and rescue people out of it. 
It's, it's a new way. The scripture teaches us that God is reconciling creation to himself. We are bringing that message into the world, infiltrating it, not warring against it. Your enemies don't have bodies. Did you know that? Let me say that again. Your enemies don't have bodies. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers, and authorities in the heavenly realms. And I think sometimes we get into this attitude of, people are my problem. People are not your problem. They can be a problem, but let's be honest. At the end of the day, this gospel message, this kingdom that we participate in, is rescuing people, not destroying them. You understand what I'm saying? I want you to be careful sometimes as you learn and you grow and you read, or even when I say something, I, I can get black and white sometimes, and sometimes people use that as an opportunity to be destructive with their knowledge, and I just think that's the wrong way to wield the responsibility that's been given to us. We are called to compassion. We are called to grace. Mercy triumphs over judgment, always. And that's the kingdom we're a part of. One where Jesus is wanting to bring his authority into the lives of other people. And that authority frees them. It breaks their chains. It causes them to be loved. It causes them to understand his love. It causes them to find new life, to be born again, to experience transformation, to have their mind renewed. All these things that we see in the scripture. When we, when we bring that message into our lives or the lives of others, it's just awesome. The kingdom is awesome. The kingdom of God is awesome. I'm not just talking about heaven after you die, kingdom of God. We're talking about a reality you experience now. Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, the kingdom of heaven is not something that you, can, that you are just going to observe. It's amongst you. It's within you. It's when we bring ourselves into God's system, into relationship with him, into his operating procedure. All of those truths that come from God. It's something to be entered into. Jesus talks a lot about entering the kingdom of heaven. And in a lot of ways, we would trim that down to salvation, that we cross over into his authority. We were the authority in our lives. We were the God. We were the king or whatever else we submitted ourselves to. And when we come to hear this message of Christ, we decide deliberately to make him the king. And in doing so, we become citizens of the kingdom. Kingdom has a king. Someone who rules over it, oversees it. We enter into it. We participate in it. We're participating. We're, we're, I don't want to get too much into it. I talked a little bit about it last week, and I don't want to get drug into a rabbit hole here because I actually get so excited about it uh, and like to talk about it. But this idea, like my kids, they're learning, they learn in science this year, ecosystems or economies. Right? And the economy of God is one of sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow. And so we sow in generosity. We sow in love. We sow in grace. We sow in forgiveness. We sow in those attributes of God that are good, believing that we will also reap out of those attributes. And when we, when we sow in jealousy and anger and all those kind of things that are evil, we also reap the, not I guess we wouldn't call them benefits, 
We reap the fruit of those things, what those things develop in our lives. It's an economy, if you will. It's a way of life, an ecosystem. There are principles there, and, and we're, we're in this world. We're in this actual world. I mean, sometimes I wish that once we believed in Christ, we just were like, uh, what's the, beamed into another place, right? Beam me up. Get me out of here. Transport me into that other realm in its entirety rather than to have to live in the middle right now where I'm walking in the world and I'm dealing with my flesh and I'm dealing with my temptations and my struggles, my personality, and your guys' too. We're all working together in this, right? We're not separated from the world. We are in the world. We get jobs. We raise kids. We pursue careers. We have to do those things. It's part of the world system, and we're here till we die. But something changes when we invite Christ into our lives. But the, the line of authority changes. The blessings change. The principles change. We've entered a new economy. One where I'm forgiven. One where I am free. One where I have gifting that I can sow into the lives of other people. I'm free from condemnation now. I can invest in this kingdom economy to see fruit raised up. To see the results of these powerful God principles at work in my life and the lives of other people. And so we're, we're in the middle. We're navigating this time frame until we die. Where Jesus returns and his kingdom becomes fully what we live in. There's a tension that we have to manage. And that's why it's important to have this conversation. Because in, the, in this conversation about two different kingdoms, it's just something that you and I have to learn to navigate well. Dealing with ourselves, dealing with our sin, dealing with the difficulties of life, and also laying hold of a new principle, a transformation, a new kingdom, a new king, a new way. It's challenging. It's not easy. But the kingdom is something to be entered into and participated in. One of the main things I want to talk about today is Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Jesus is teaching the disciples and he says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? This is what we get caught up into in the world. We need to survive. We need things. And we go beyond need that we want things. And we get really focused on the material world and the struggles therein. And Jesus goes on to say this, and this is, very liberating. For the Gentiles seek after all these things and, hear this, your heavenly Father knows you need them all. God cares enough about you. He knows all of those needs. He knows you need a job. We just need to make some money sometimes. He knows you need food. He knows you need help raising your kids. He knows all those material things that we need. Those aren't vanity for us to be participating in. It is right and good for us to do so. And God helps us in that. But that's what we get focused on, our worldly concepts. And we get so obsessed with our careers, obsessed with our personal finances, obsessed with our own lives, to where we start putting ourselves back on the throne instead of Him. But God knows. This is so key. I, I, don't you hate it when somebody just says something to you like, well, you know, stop being anxious. Well, stop being sad. 
Well, stop being angry. Just knock it off. It's like, I wish it worked that way, that I could just turn it off. But it is what we feel. It is what we struggle with. It's the concerns we have about life. And fortunately here, Jesus doesn't say, stop being anxious. Wuss. He says, no, God knows what you need. He has compassion for where you're at. He understands that. Your heavenly Father knows that you have needs in this world, in this life. You need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is not a lottery message. If we put the kingdom first, I'm going to win the lottery. No. But he's starting to arrange the priorities here. When we enter the kingdom of God, we become participants in his economy, we put him first. He's challenging us. Seek first the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God it covers a broad range of things. Seek first what God wants. Seek first the principles of God. Seek first relationship with God. Seek first that kingdom and everything that it entails. Put, make that your priority. We are to prioritize the kingdom of God. Bringing those principles into our reality here and now. This gospel message that transforms lives is meant to be brought into the here and now, a focal point for all of us. And sometimes when we say gospel, we just think about getting people saved. But the gospel is much bigger than just that entry into the kingdom. It's the whole kingdom. It's this whole idea of who God is and how he relates to us and all the things we participate in as his family. It is really good news. Really good news. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Hmm. The kingdom becomes a way in which we begin to see the world. See, the kingdom isn't just what the preacher talks about on Sunday, and it's not just coming here and enjoying something together as a family. It's something that's out there everywhere that we bring everywhere we go. And when we start to make the kingdom a priority, we start to realize that when we go to work in the morning and we're sitting in our cubicle or we're on the job site or we're wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we start to see kingdom, God's principles at work or opportunity rather for us to bring those principles into a situation. The guy in the cubicle next to you that spits spit wads at you and drives you crazy. One day you go into work. And they're not their normal annoying self. They're quite subdued and quiet and sad. You have an opportunity right there. What would Jesus do? We make fun of the bracelets now because they were kind of overdone. But it's a very legitimate question today and will always be. What would Jesus do? What would the kingdom look like in this guy's life? How can I help bring God's principles into his life? By shaking my finger at him and making him tick the sin boxes? No, by bringing love and compassion into his situation. That God might bring a revelation to him. That God, that he might make Jesus Christ the Lord in his life. And begin to enter into that kingdom and its processes and its principles. You are an ambassador of this kingdom. 
You are someone who carries an authority and a message and a hope for the people in the world around you. So when we begin to seek first the kingdom of God, we seek first the kingdom at work, we seek first the kingdom at home, we seek first the kingdom in our finances, we seek first the kingdom in our marriages. If we start to realize and do that in our lives, we start to invite the economy of God to take a hold of our lives and produce its fruit. That's what we're called to. I'm not just called to that because I'm paid to lead a church. Thank you, by the way. But we are all called to it because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We've all laid hold of that good news. And it's our job to bring it to the world around us. That the world around us might also begin to participate in the kingdom of God. Right here, right now, planet Earth. I think focusing on the kingdom of God is healthier than focusing on the kingdom of Satan. And this kind of ties into what, where I want to, just revisiting last week's message a little bit. Understanding what good and evil are are very important. And this necessary part of our journey. But oftentimes we see, and perhaps at times you've been this way, I know I have, where I become enamored with, what's the devil doing? There's a demon behind every fence post, I'm pretty sure. And we start to over-focus on the worldly stuff, and we get out of alignment. The priority is Jesus Christ. You're not going to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ by focusing on the devil. You're not going to overcome your sin by being really angry about sin. You aren't going to make the world a better place by telling it how wrong it is. It didn't work on you, and it doesn't work on me, and it ain't going to work on everybody else. There's no hope in that message. It's not that we throw the baby out with the bathwater, okay? But when we make the kingdom a priority, that's when everything starts to come into alignment. The most important thing for you to do is to establish and grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the priority. That's where you set your sights. Set your sight on love himself. Set your sight on truth himself. Set your sights on goodness and righteousness and all those things himself. Seek first the kingdom of God. Everything else comes into order from there. You know, Jesus was tempted. Did you know that? Jesus was tempted. One of the things that's powerful and important about understanding the incarnation of Christ, God in the flesh, is that he experienced what you and I experience and remained sinless. And it's an important concept about why his sacrifice is so powerful and important. But Jesus went through a moment before his ministry really got launched where Satan himself tempted him. Matthew and Luke talk about it. I think Mark mentions that it happened, but he doesn't go into detail about it. I don't think John talks about it at all. But it's really interesting what goes on there and how this happens. You're like, he's Jesus. Like, what is Satan thinking? Like, how in the world is this going to happen? But I don't know. We don't understand what happened necessarily or why it had to happen. But I think it had to do with just Jesus being able to sympathize with our weakness. Hebrews teaches us that we have a great high priest who can empathize with us, who understands our weakness and yet is without blame. Anyway, Satan does something interesting. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days, which, understandably, he was hungry. Okay? He was Human. He was God in the flesh. Anyone ever fasted for 40 days? 
There's a few people in the world that do it. It's pretty intense. He was really hungry. And, of course, Satan comes to him and tempts him. He said, if you're really the son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Feed yourself. Jesus' response is, now just think for a second about the strategy here of the temptation. I'm going to appeal to your hunger, your longing for something, your desire for something. Why don't you go ahead and fulfill that desire? You could. You're the son of God. Do it. Jesus replies with scripture, man shall not live by bread alone, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He uses the scripture to endure the situation and to deal with Satan. Now, depending on which one of the gospels you read, they're in a different order. But he takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple. And he says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself off of here. It's written in the scripture. He shall command his angels concerning you. And also that he'll lift you up so that your foot won't strike a stone. I'm quoting scripture to you, Jesus. I'm using the scripture to try and justify what I'm tempting you with. Jesus says it's also written. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. There's a twisting. We saw it in creation last week. We see it in the temptation this week. There was a twisting and manipulation of scripture, but Jesus had a right handling on it. And Satan couldn't overcome him in those situations. And then he appeals to just his human nature, and he takes him to a high place, and he shows him the kingdoms of the earth, of which he has authority. And he says, I'll give this all to you if you bow down and worship me. It's interesting if you stop and consider those three scenarios and an understanding of how uh, Satan was appealing, how that world system was trying to appeal to Jesus himself, and how Jesus handled it. He handled it with a right handling of the scripture. He says to Satan, beat it. The word says, worship the Lord your God and him only shall you worship. And Satan had to leave him. And angels came and attended to him. I think when we, what Jesus really in, in one way, I think and just what I want to draw out of for you today, is that he had his sights set on something more. He wasn't just focusing on his immediate need with the bread. He wasn't just focused on exercising his super cool power by jumping off the temple. He wasn't just focused on serving a, a selfish sort of motivation to become an, a, an amazing person in the world. All these things that we also are tempted by. But he's had his sights set on the kingdom of God. And he wielded the word of God in the face of temptation and had his primary focus the kingdom of God. He sought first what his father wanted and what the truth of the scripture was in order to overcome the temptations he was dealing with. You and I are the same. Constantly faced with these kinds of things. Yeah, just compromise, go a different way, do it differently. But if our sights are set on the kingdom of God, if our eyes are on Jesus, we can wield that well and we can overcome all the world system stuff throws at us. But if we start focusing on I'm going to be tough enough to do it. I'm going to be smart enough to overcome it. I'm going to have everything in place and in order so that if the devil tempts me, I'll just punch him in the nose. It doesn't work. We've got to set our sights on our Savior. He is our Savior. He's the rescuer. He's established a kingdom that we can live in and overcome the frailty of our broken system. I guess I'll wrap up with this today. Hebrews Chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author or the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Considered, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. How do we win the game of life? We set our sight on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. A couple quick things for you to think about. Make it practical. Some thoughts for you to reflect on. Are you building a relationship with Jesus? If you, if you really want to continue in your journey of fruitfulness in the kingdom of God, and bring, bring that good news into other people's lives and be that fragrance of Christ, be that ambassador of Christ, all those things. We've got to start set our sights on Christ, building a relationship with him. How do we do that? We do it through prayer. We pray. We listen. Half of prayer is listening. We pray and we listen. We have the Holy Spirit inside us teaching us, leading us. We pray and we listen. We study the scripture. We want to wield it well like Jesus did. We worship like today. Tyler's encouragement to us and our worship team leading us. How, how do we build a relationship with Jesus? We worship him. We draw near to him. It's not like I can find him somewhere in this room and stand by him physically. It's someplace I go in my heart. The invisible me goes there. My mind goes there. Drawing close to God and who he is in worship and in prayer and in study and in hanging out with you guys, fellowshipping with one another. It's a nice Christian word, fellowship. Hanging out together, encouraging one another, strengthening one another, spurring one another on towards love and good deeds, as the scripture says. How do we build relationship with Christ? We set our sights on him. He's the author. He's writing the story. He's guiding the steps. He's the source of life and truth. Let's set our sights on him. Let's participate in his kingdom. And let's help other people join us in that kingdom effort. Would you stand, please? I hope you want to be a kingdom people. I hope you want to be a kingdom person. Not just a churchgoer, not just someone who ascribes to the facts of Christ, but someone who wants to participate in the economy of God. Father, we thank you this morning for your scripture. Lord, for the words. Lord, I just thank you for what you've done. You've just done something that none of us could do. We would be hopeless if you hadn't given us this good news. We'd be left to our own devices. and What a mess it would be. But God, you are so good. You are love. And you love us. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen and encourage everyone here, Lord, as they go about their week, about their day, going about their relationship with their families, their relationship with their friends, their relationships in the world around them. God, that we would recognize that we have a powerful message of hope, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, as the scripture teaches us. Help us to bring that into our own reality and in the reality of others. Help us be faithful with this message. 
Thank you for your encouragement and your challenges. Let's pray you continue to lead us and guide us. And right here in Helena, Montana, Lord, being ambassadors for you, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.